If you would open up in your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 18, and we're going to read this together in a minute. This is going to be our primary text for this morning as we look together throughout God's Word to see what the Lord has to say to us regarding this idea of living on purpose. Greg Moody spoke two weeks ago about needing to uh, lift up our eyes to see the world around us and how this reflected in our Christian walk. He invited us into the idea of following Jesus. Jake Pickens spoke last week about using our gifts, serving the family of God, and relying on one another um, in a codependent sort of way. This idea of yielding our lives to Jesus. And today, I'd like you to consider the instruction to be Jesus. Not that any of us are actually going to be Him, or literally claim to be Him, of course, but instead that we would live our lives in this world in a way that would reflect and honor Him every day, and in a way that it is more than to mirror Jesus, but to be Jesus. And we'll work that out idea out a little bit later, but the text for today is 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, and so let us read that together. God's Word says this, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The average person will spend around 90,000 hours, 90,000 hours at work over their lifetime, according to Andrew Neighbor. He's an industrial organizational psychologist and data scientist. That's that's 10.3 years. 10.3 years worth of hours you'll spend in a job somewhere. Greg Moody shared with us a couple weeks ago that the jobs that we work and the businesses that we work for ultimately usually have a mission statement, something that directs the efforts of their employees. And so for roughly 90,000 hours of our lifetimes, we are working under the purpose and under the mission of our occupation. Now, What would ultimately happen if instead of following the mission and the purpose of our job, we would do instead what we wanted to do? We didn't actually follow the mission and the purpose of the job that we had, but instead we did what we wanted to do. What what would likely happen? Anybody have an, an idea? If you worked for a company who said, this is what we do, and you did something else, what would happen? Okay, there we get fired, right? That's what would happen. You'd get fired. If you were expected to do a job and you did something different, you would most likely get fired. As a burger flipper, the expectation for you in the scope of your job is to do what? Flip burgers. Okay, so you guys are doing great. Two for two so far. You guys are going to make great employees, I swear. Great employees. Softball. No. Okay, no. You're fired. You're gone. As a burger flipper, the expectation and really the scope of your job is to flick, flip burgers, to cook burgers. Your job is to cook burgers. It's not to find the cure for an incurable disease. That would be great. That'd be a good thing. That'd be ultimately awesome. Your job is also not to be a cabinet maker. 
right? Your job is to flip burgers. I love traveling downstate because there's so many better food options. And one of the places I like to eat when I go downstate into Bangor, I say downstate, Bangor's really not downstate, but is Five Guys. Anybody like Five Guys? All right, we got a few hands. Katie loves Five Guys. If you want to get Katie a gift, get her a gift certificate to Five Guys. But I enjoy going to Five Guys. And the mission statement at Five Guys is this. Five Guys' goal is to sell the best quality burgers possible. To sell the best burger possible, we focus on quality, service, and cleanliness. Right? You're not focusing on chemical interactions at a cellular level. You're not focusing on acquiring the, property, uh, the, the proper tools to make a clean, repeatable dovetail. Right? Your focus and your action as a burger flipper is to flip burgers, to make the best quality burger possible. And in much the same way, we must, as Christians, avail ourselves to the same purpose that God has given each of us in a way that shows that we're not just living with a purpose, but we're living on purpose. We're not just living with a mission statement, but we're living that mission statement. I want to lay some groundwork today before we dive deeper into this passage of 2 Corinthians but the foundation of this chapter finds itself earlier on in, uh, in chapter 3 and verse 3. Paul declares this to his readers. With confidence in God, he says this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. This is the framework with which he's starting to establish this conversation that we're going to take up here this morning. We're in a Sunday morning worship service, and I, I'm sure that most of you know most of you, too, know and believe that your hope lies in Jesus Christ, that that's where your confidence is squarely wrought out. But what I want us to see this morning is not only that we're saved by Christ, but that God made himself radically available to us through Christ. God made himself radically available to us through Jesus. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, Though God was with the nation of Israel, he was ultimately still separated from them. In the temple, there's the Holy of Holies. I'm not sure if any of you have looked at the temple layout and structure, but inside the temple, there's a holy place. And inside of that holy place, there is a place called the Holy of Holies, where the divine presence of God would dwell. And inside this area, it was separated from the rest of the temple by a veil, the veil was woven with blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine linen twined within them, cherubim skillfully worked into it. The Holy of Holies could only be entered once a year. It was celebrated primarily as what we call Yom Kippur, to be tended only by the high priest under the strictest rules of what to wear, how to bathe, how to prepare himself, what to do inside, what the exact purpose that he was attending to accomplish was when he went into the Holy of Holies. God used prophets, men like Moses, to relay his words to the people rather than talking to them directly. Yet under the new covenant, God sends us his son, both fully God and fully man, to dwell among his people, no longer separated but together with humankind. John 1, 14 through 18 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and of truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law 
was given to Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John 14, Jesus later clarifies this as Philip asks him, hey, why can we not see God? Can we just see God? I want want to see him. Let me see him. But Jesus says this, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am he? I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, and I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. See, God stepped towards his creation. God stepped towards you and me, making himself radically available to us through his son, Jesus. In verse 16 of our text today, it says this, When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. This idea of removing the veil... God stepping towards us, making himself fully available to us through his son, Jesus. At the establishment of the old covenant, Moses had the most direct relationship with God compared to any man. Back then, that was a thing, right? You had to go through a prophet. You had to hear from the Lord through a prophet. And today, we have Jesus instead. But in that day, Moses had the most direct relationship compared to any, any man. And in Exodus 33, we hear a little bit about Moses asking to see the glory of God. So kind of what Philip just did in the New Testament, we see a story of that in the Old Testament. And Moses asked God, I'd like to see your glory. And this was God's response. He said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed. But I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but not my face. It will not be seen. This is the level of glory. This is the level of glory that that Moses then interacts with on Mount Sinai as he climbs Mount Sinai to receive the law of the Ten Commandments, which later are put into the Ark of the Covenant that sits where? The Ark of the Covenant sits veiled in the Holy of Holies. In Exodus 34, it's recounted then that Moses came down from the mountain and the skin of his face was shining with rays of light. Because of his prolonged reflection of God's glory, he would veil his face as the glory dimmed and they would see until he saw God again. That's what Moses would do. He would come, he would see God, this bit of God, and his face would shine so bright that to interact with the people around him, he would need to put a veil over his face. Not to make light of the scenario, but maybe to help us understand a little bit what was happening, it feels a little bit like glow-in-the-dark. You guys, anybody do glow-in-the-dark stuff? Maybe the kids. But glow-in-the-dark, basically the phosphors within glow-in-the-dark capture the light. They hold the light and then slowly release it over time. The material doesn't actually produce any light. 
It releases the light that it stored when it was exposed to it. And so Moses' skin continues to reflect, it continues to emit the glory of God long after he was in his presence. And so Moses, like I said, has to wear something. He has to cover his face just to interact with people around him. Right? I mean, it would probably be quite strange for all of you to interact with somebody whose face was glowing. If you saw someone whose face was glowing, what would you do? Yeah, run. I appreciate the honesty. That's what I would do. I would probably not be sticking around very long. And so just to react with the people around him, his people, Moses would veil his face. The Jews could not handle the reflected splendor of God through the face of Moses without a veil. And see, the law of the old covenant was given through Moses. It was never meant to be a permanent solution for your sin. This veil, this separation, this removal of our direct access to God or this non-existing of our direct access to God meant that there needed to be something that stood in between and that was the law. The law was a former glory, yet we're being transformed into something new. The Bible says that we are being transformed from one glory to another. The infinite beauty of God made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. God makes himself available, uninhibited, unfettered, unrestrained to you and I through Jesus Christ. God didn't just say that he loved you. God didn't just say that he loves his creation, but he actually showed his love. And therefore, because God availed himself to you and I, we cannot remain unfazed. We cannot remain unchanged. Instead, we are freed to be transformed into the same image. Our will becomes the will of God. Our work, your work, becomes God's work. Our life becomes his life. This is the beauty of the freedom that we have in Jesus through God, that he's removed the veil from us that we would have direct access to him through Jesus. Yet in saying this, we also know this, that the temple was destroyed long ago. We also know that Moses is dead, and he'd be really old if that wasn't the case. Jesus himself has ascended into heaven and is no longer here on earth. And so what can we say about God making himself available to you and I today? Just a few verses later, Jesus chastises Philip for not realizing that he had seen God since he had seen the Son. He had seen Jesus. He had been with him for a long time. This is what Jesus says after that interaction. I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Right? The, the world cannot accept him but because it neither sees him nor knows him. The world is veiled to Jesus. The world around us is veiled to Jesus, and we are called to remove that veil. We're called to remove that veil as God did for us through His Son, Jesus. And as we grow into the likeness of who God is, who His Son is, we are called to remove the veil for those around us. God's glory in the midst of His people. 
has gone from reflection to infection. This idea of reflecting God is no longer the case, and instead, it is the Spirit of God who dwells within me and within you, each one of you, that God would make a difference not only in your life but through your life for the sake of the world around us. The glory of God faded from the face of Moses, but the Spirit of God lives within each one. He lives, He makes His dwelling place in you. The Spirit is with us, He is in us, and we are being transformed into that same image, infected by the light itself. And I'm afraid some of you may think that this this is an unattainable task. This idea of being available as the Spirit is available, available as God is available, as Jesus has been available to us, that we as mere humans will be unable to give that same kind of availability to the people around us. But we can choose to give people a higher priority in our schedules. We can choose to give those people of the world that cannot accept him our lives and our hearts, and we must avail ourselves to those who are far from him. Because we once were there too. We once were there too, and someone spoke into your life. Someone shared the truth of the gospel, the hope of the gospel with you. They availed themselves to you. They gave time of themselves to explain it to you, to invest in you. Because they no longer reflected what God had given them, but they were infected by what God had given them. There's hundreds of thousands of people within your reach. Thousands and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people within the reach of this church. That if we would step out in the midst of our daily walks, we could remove the veil of the gospel from their hearts. That they might see God. Because every day, every day... Each of you are either driven by passivity or purpose. Each of you are driven by passivity or purpose. You can live with a purpose in a kind of happenstance kind of way. Maybe what happens, happens. Whatever pans out, pans out. But you can't live on purpose passively. You can't live on purpose passively. You you have to go out each day with intention. You have to see each interaction with the people around you as a purpose given to you by God. Writer Annie Dillard famously said, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And so what then? As those who have turned to the Lord, are you spending your days on as you're transformed into the same image? I would contest that one of the most repetitive characteristics of Christ's life on this earth is his availability to everyday people. Phones are great. I think probably everybody has a phone today. Just about every child I see walks around with a phone. Everybody has phones today, right? And they're awesome. But when I was a child, phones, we didn't even have cell phones. I mean, eventually when I was like in college, I think I got a cell phone. My Nokia 5165, anybody else repping a... Those are great. They should make those again. But back in those days, you basically, you didn't even have long distance, right? You had to pay for a long distance. Anybody remember that? Oh, it's 
sort of rough. It's rough. But one of the things that I love about my phone is caller ID. Anybody like caller ID? Caller ID is great. And back then, that was like you had to pay for that. That was no good. I wasn't paying for that. I'm too cheap. But back in, in those days, you, you just took the call, right? The call came in. You're like, oh, my gosh, someone's called me. This is great. I hope it doesn't last too long. I've got five minutes. But nowadays, right, you can, you can unlimited time. You can talk to whoever you want to. But we still look at that caller ID, and sometimes we look at it and say, I don't know if I want to take this call. <laughs> I mean, just this last week alone, I probably got a dozen spam calls a day. It's nice to be able to just say, decline, right? It's nice to be able to get out of a conversation that you don't want to have. It feels that way anyway, right? We think that there are times that we need to uh, protect, I think, our availability. And so when that spam phone call comes in nowadays, I can just hit decline. But back then, I used to have to get it, and then, then I'm stuck. I, I don't, did ever, you ever feel stuck when you get a spam call? They start talking. They just start right in. And I get stuck in this ethical dilemma. Do I let them finish and say no thank you? Or do I just hang up on them? Do you guys ever feel bad about hanging up on Samaritan? I, I, it hurts me in my heart. And so I, I, try, I, try, I try to let them talk. And it takes up my time. And then I say no thank you. And I hang up. And so it's much easier when it comes up. And now they even say possibly spam. I'm like heck yeah. that's nothing. <laughs> Cancel. Right? That's... That, that's it, I'm trying to protect my time. And that's great for spam calls. It's great for spam calls. It's horrible for relationships. It's horrible for relationships. It limits us. It limits people's access to us. And we might want to protect our availability, like I said, especially when we're busy. But that's not good for relationships. Jesus had a different picture of his mission. Jesus had a different picture of his purpose on this earth. Choosing to live not just with purpose, but continually on purpose. Choosing not to avoid the people who called on him, but instead to constantly be available. Mark 5.1, after teaching to a great crowd, he calmed a storm, he crosses the sea, and he's immediately met with a man. He gets off the boat, and the man with an unclean spirit approaches him. He heals him. And then he jumps back on the boat. He heads back across to the other side where in Matthew 9, while he's on his way to raise a girl who had died, a lady touches the hem of his garment. And he stops. He doesn't just let it go. He stops and he seeks her out, even though he's in the midst of going to do something else. Luke 5 tells us of the friends who lowered a man through the roof. Jesus was in the midst of preaching to Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come from Galilee and from Judea and from Jerusalem. They were very important people, and he was teaching to them. Yet, I mean, I think I would too, I guess, if somebody broke through the ceiling right now. But he stops, and he heals the man, and he forgives his sin. He heals blind Bartimaeus as he was setting off from Jericho in Mark 10. He's leaving town. He's getting ready to go wherever he's going. I, don't, I can't remember where he's going from here. But he's setting off in Mark 10, and even though the crowds rebuked Bartimaeus, they said, be quiet, leave Jesus alone, Jesus instead turns to Bartimaeus and says, what do you want me to do for you? 
Even after giving his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7, through 7, he comes down from the mountain, he cleanses a leper who approached him, then he heals the centurion's paralyzed servant, and then he heals Peter's sick mother-in-law. Jake mentioned last week that preparing and giving sermons is tiring. A Sunday morning afternoon, a Sunday afternoon nap, not morning, Sunday afternoon nap is necessity for me after I preach often. I don't know if I'm going to get it today, i got things to do, but... It's tiring. Yet Jesus comes down from the mountain after giving one of the most considered today be the one most important sermons of his life. He comes down and he heals three different people. Jesus doesn't take a back road. He doesn't take a detour around the crowds. He doesn't ignore those who seek him. Instead, he avails himself to them again and again and again. He lays the groundwork for you and I to do the same thing, to be available people. Often the stories that were recorded about Jesus were interruptions of his verbal teaching. And not that Jesus, what he had to say wasn't important, but so often. So often that we see uh, that his teaching wasn't the central point of these stories. And instead it was his action. It was Jesus' availability. It was his response to the world around him, and especially to those that were in need. Jesus routinely puts himself in these places that made him accessible and available to everyday people. Sunday morning service is not, uh, is the, sorry, is the most segregated time on our calendar between the people who do not know Jesus and the people who do. Church on Sunday cannot be the target, should not be the target for a focused life of a believer. It cannot be, and it cannot replace the meeting of God in the midst of his work in the everyday goings-on of our work week, in the community as his servants. God doesn't call us to thrive in the sterile petri dish void of everything else, but instead in the midst of everything else. He doesn't call us to come to church and to get our lives in order and that be it alone. He calls us to go out into the midst of the disorder and create order through his son. In one of his letters, C.S. Lewis wrote this, The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that one calls the interruptions, what one calls the interruptions, are precisely one's real life. The life that God is sending one day by day. Because what one calls one's real life is actually a phantom of one's own imagination. Church, we cannot confuse busy, active lives for living on purpose. In my devotional times, I've been reading Live in Grace and Walk in Love by a guy named Bob Goff. He was talking about meeting some professional dart players. Anybody know any professional dart players? I set up a dart board very temporarily in my garage. Grayson threw all of my darts up over, like there's a, anyway. He threw them into a void that I can't get them back. Right, Grayson's not a dart player. But... Bob was talking about these professional dart players. He's talking about how good they were. He was talking about the fact that they could throw over their shoulder blindfolded and still hit the bullseye. 
I mean, that's pretty incredible. I'm, I mean, I, darts are fun, but I'm not that good at darts. I'm, I'm, I'm mediocre at best. But Bob said after the match was over, I started to think about their darts. I th- started to think about the importance of knowing your target. I started thinking about all the darts that I throw. Whether I was aiming at the right stuff, I can find my way waltzing through the day, tossing darts all over. Finish this project, make that call, do the chores, remember my quiet time, get to church, don't forget to pray. And even the things that seem like right targets can be wrong if we're only trying to check them off a list. When I look at Jesus, I see someone who lived a life on mission. He lived a purposeful and intentional life. He knew what he was aiming for. Here it is. He wanted to do the Father's will. This doesn't seem, didn't seem elusive to to Jesus as it seems to many of us. He even explained it to someone when they asked. He loved God with his heart and his mind, and he loved his neighbor. This is who Jesus was. And this is who Jesus calls you and I to be. You and I, brothers and sisters, must choose engagement as we're being transformed into the same image through the new covenant of Christ's blood. The good news, the good news is that we can use all of these activities, all these things that Bob listed, all the work that we do for the 90,000 hours of our lives, we can use all of those things as catalysts for true availability. So when God prompts us in the midst of doing to stop and explain to somebody who he is, to declare hope to someone, to demonstrate love to someone, let's do that. Let's step into our work, let's step into our days and use the work that we have around us, not as the work, but as the catalyst for true availability. One of Jesus' well-known displays of availability in John 4, he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And he tells her this, but the hour is coming. And it is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. There's a veil. There's a veil for her. She can't see who God is in his son, Jesus. And so Jesus says to her this, I who speak to you am he. He removes the veil from her. He releases to her, reveals to her that he is the Messiah and shows her God in himself. And even though he knew what kind of a woman she was, he looked on her with grace. And sometimes that's why we make ourselves less available to the people around us. That's why we we decline the calls. Because we look on the people around us with less grace than we really need, uh, less grace than, than we know we need ourselves. 
can we look at people, church? Can we look at the people around us, others around us, with grace? Excited about what God is making them to be rather than what they were yesterday. Can we look at people as if God is going to make something out of them through us rather than who they already are or who they already were? Because, guys, we, we were that way. We maybe are still that way. We're struggling with things. We need grace. We need change. We are being transformed into the same image, and you and I both need that grace, and we need to show that grace and love to those around us. Not protecting our availability because we think our time is more important elsewhere, but instead engaging the culture around us, one broken individual at a time. That's what God love, God's love is. That he would send his son Jesus for you. And that in turn he would send his spirit to live and dwell in you. And that ultimately you could be the source of hope. The declaration of that message to someone who's perishing. Who has a veil in front of their faces. That they might know who Jesus is. We need to be willing to be Jesus. We need people willing to be Jesus in our lives. And he's calling you to live a life of availability as well. Let me pray. Lord God, it's by your mercy that we gather here today. It's by your grace that you've shown us your love through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that you've given us the opportunity to be with to be challenged by, to be transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you have removed the veil from us. That, Lord, no longer do we have to wait to hear from you through other men and women. We don't have to wait for your instruction for someone to tell us what the rules are or what the law is. But instead, you've given us your son, Jesus. And he, in turn, has given us the Spirit so that we might be transformed into that same image. Thank you for unveiling yourself to us. And I pray, Lord God, that you would find us to be available men and women. That we would seek opportunities as we work, as we play, as we enjoy our hobbies, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't look at those as busyness, but instead as opportunities for the, for, uh, as a catalyst for the gospel. That we would stop and we would pause and we, we would step away from the purpose and mission of the world temporarily so that we can focus completely on purpose for the mission that you had for us in that moment. And Lord, so as we walk away from here, I pray, Lord God, that you would help us, you would burden our hearts to be spiritual fathers and mothers. You would allow us to be submissive as spiritual sons and daughters. And then ultimately, Lord God, you would call us to be available to our community that we might remove the veil of the gospel 
that they might see God. Lord, let that be our purpose as we walk out these doors. Help us not to just live lives with a purpose, but on purpose. May you be glorified in all that is said and done. We praise you today. Amen.